Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Healthy Pets podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, Dr. Mercola's Chief Wellness Veterinary Consultant, and I'm excited to share with you the latest news about pet health to guide you in keeping your animal companions healthy, comfortable, and happy throughout their lives. My goal as a proactive vet is to empower pet owners to make knowledgeable decisions to extend the lifespan and well-being of their animals. If you're looking for more pet health tips, you can also subscribe to my free daily newsletter at healthypets.mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and this morning, Dr. Faith Albright has been nominated for an Animal Game Changer Award, and we're so honored and pleased that Dr. Albright has been able to join us this morning. So thank you, Dr. Albright, for the work that you're doing, and we're so excited to learn more about your passionate platform. So welcome, and congrats on your nomination. Thank you so much. So will you walk us through, Faith, a little bit about... um, your journey to becoming a veterinarian, and then one step beyond that, that journey from veterinary medicine to where you are now. Sure. So really about 25 years ago, (laughs) when one gets to the age where you can remember a few decades ago and how that was life-changing, but uh, my then husband and I went to uh, an animal sanctuary, a farm animal sanctuary, And we'd both been um, vegetarian before that and always cared about animals. And I had thought about vet school since I was like seven and going to that animal sanctuary kind of changed the story of how I can best give something back to the world and change the world, make it a better place for as many beings as possible. Because I saw that the the animals there were not only touching lives the way all of our pets touch our lives, but able to reach out to in a really broad way to many people. And so not only would I be saving those animals, but also helping hopefully change the world for the better, make it more compassionate and help people have a better understanding of all the species. So the goal for an animal sanctuary is what pushed me into getting into and through vet school. And, and so uh, where did you go to vet school? The vet school journey itself was very long and hard. I actually did undergrad at Davis, which has a vet school, but it's the top one in the country. And so I was not even waitlisted there. And the second year I tried Missouri and that also fell apart. And then um, I ultimately went to an island school, which a lot of people haven't even heard of, uh, Grenada and then Hurricane Ivan destroyed the island and then Grand Cayman for a few months. And then I actually finished school uh, the last three years at Illinois, and it's a wonderful school. Okay, good. I'm very, very familiar with um, <laughs> Illinois. My practice was there uh, 20 years, and oh, nice. And so I'm, yeah, so I'm totally familiar with that. And and I only asked about where you went to vet school because I am an Iowa native, so I went to Iowa State, and that's an agricultural college, and. Um, I was vegetarian uh, going through, I became vegetarian at 13, same thing, worked um, humane work at the local humane society and did some veal calf uh, calls and did some mm-hmm. factory farming chicken calls. And it, um, it shifted me, it damaged me, uh, but it also shifted me and it instilled in some very concrete um, principles into my human that are just never going to shift. But then going to an agricultural college, there's a very different 
mindset about yeah. how how we treat food animals and then how we yeah. treat animals that uh, that live in our homes as family members. And there's this clear divide. Yeah. And it um, was very apparent to me at Iowa State. And mm-hmm. it is, it's something that I think a lot of times we don't talk about as professionals, but it's yeah. there. And, and you have made it a little bit of a career now to, to talk about it and to highlight that. So, so when you finished that school, mm-hmm. how did you go about then setting up your, your next stage of your career? Yeah, for sure. So I actually did the typical thing and worked in private practice. My goal was to pay off the enormous student loans before trying to get into the work of doing good in the world so that I could actually make it a financially stable venture and make it last. So I did private practice and for five years. And then about uh, seven years ago now, I got a job at Animal Care and Control in San Francisco and did shelter vet work, which was my other kind of dream path for this. And the shelter animals are so overlooked. And even within uh, San Francisco, there's this huge disparity of like this fancy shelter, the SPCA, that is also a nonprofit, but it gets um, a lot of donations compared to the city shelter that it looks like a prison or something. So the the disparity, not just between how we treat different species, which is speciesism is huge in (laughs) humans, but also the the, the fancy pets get to go to the SPCA and they get uh, well cared for. And these other guys were just really struggling for space. So yeah. that solidified it more. And then after another five years of working uh, about two years ago, I finally had enough saved up and we found the perfect property. And so I uh, formed the nonprofit, which is also really challenging. You have to learn a lot about business all of a sudden and then uh, bought the property and we started acquiring animals, saving animals about a year and a half ago. And Faith, how, how did you go about letting people know that <laughs> your sanctuary existed because there are far more large animals that need to be rescued, I think, mm-hmm. than anyone is aware of. So how, how did you put into place, how? Um, this uh, acquiring animals for for your sanctuary. <laughs> I was warned, and it's so accurate that it, getting animals wouldn't be the problem; that it would actually be keeping them away. Because you just kind of have to whisper into the wind that a farm animal sanctuary exists, and yeah. the animal advocates of the world are suddenly banging down your door with, "I have chickens that need to be rescued." They'll. Um, go into vigils and kind of um, do these beautiful like spotlights of showing how hard the transport is for animals. So they'll go to um, pig transports or slaughterhouses. And there are these, they're called dead piles where they'll throw dead bodies. But sometimes the animals that even make it into that pile aren't dead yet. So some of the animal activists will see these like wriggling little beings on the piles and they'll want to rescue them. And then working at the shelter, I actually discovered another huge uh, place that these farm animals are overlooked is they'll end up in city shelters because they have nowhere else to go. Yeah. So we've had goats, pigs, ducks, chickens at, at in San Francisco in this huge city. And so by working with the shelters, I give them a place to uh, kind of put these animals that otherwise are living in these bizarre like cat kennels right next to the cats and dogs, which is terrifying for them. Yeah. 
So yeah. we started getting our first animal was a, a group of chickens and they were living in my office inside because we didn't quite have a chicken coop set up yet uh, when we first started. Yeah. And and Faith, do you, once the animals come to you, if mm-hmm. you find appropriate adaptive environments, do you adapt them out or once they're with you, they're with you? Yeah. So One Living Sanctuary, that's uh, the name of this sanctuary, is more about uh, having sentinel animals for each of the species that people can meet when they come here. The idea is that it is an intersectional space between uh, humanitarianism, environmentalism, and animal issues to show people that they don't need to have compassion. You were mentioning compassion fatigue for just one thing that they can actually open their hearts and the animal people can see that humans are also animals. I hear a lot in our industry, uh, you know, I don't even like humans. That's why I went into vet medicine. <laughs> and in the animal rescue industry, that's really huge too, like in the shelters. And I was also part of these like humanitarian groups that would um, try to show people how wonderful humans are and how to be kind and loving, but they would completely forget about the environment or completely forget about the animal side of it. And so we want to really highlight that all of these um, pillars of compassion can exist and can and should coexist because we're all so intertangled. So we, we rescue animals from wherever they come and tell their story and rehabilitate them. And then they stay here and this is their permanent home and people can come and meet them and volunteer with them. So this is, yeah, One Living Sanctuary is basically like where they live then forever. What, wonderful. And do you have a growing group of like-minded volunteers? <laughs> I'm sure you have a growing group of family, but do you have a growing group of volunteers as well to help support you? It's not as much as we should. That's something that I need uh, to work better on is the business side of this and getting, like you were saying earlier, like the word out there that we need volunteers. We need huge members of the community. But now that we're about two years in, we actually, we have an amazing animal caretaker who showed up and she was actually in this industry. So she was a vet tech in emergency for a long time and having burnout. And she loves it here. It's so peaceful for her. So we do have, fortunately, a a slowly growing community of like-minded people who can do the outreach and and, uh, take care of the animals in a way that I don't have the uh, time anymore to individually go and spend time with all 64 of them. that, that that was my next question is how many so six, 64 can you <laughs> last can count you, it might be more <laughs> yeah I bet I bet there could be some on your doorstep when we complete this interview that it happens that way yeah um can you just um recite a couple like some of their most recent uh animals that have come to you tell us a little bit about some of your most recent acquisitions and how, what their story was in terms of how the, how they arrived Sure. So one really sweetheart is uh, this giant horse named Magnus, who is just completely wasted away, skinny. He's six years old, which is not very old for horses, but he was left in a, it it looks like a basement barn almost on like just a dirt floor and and just poorly cared for him, basically neglected for the entire six years of his life. And so he had, uh, was underfed. He's, you can see his little ribs. He's um, just lost his mind kind of and involved in a lot of cribbing, which is a stereotypy for that horses engage in when they're stressed. 
Um, so he only came to us two weeks ago and we have three other horses on property who roam the whole 120 acres and they graze, free graze, and they're really happy and healthy looking. And then here's poor Magnus who has just these spots in his coat that are kind of mottled and sad. And he's, his ribs are showing, like I was saying, and he's got, um, when he first showed up, he smelled like he was in a ketosis. Mm. So like his organs were actually shutting down from being so underfed. And he's smelling a lot better, looking a lot better. His coat is great, but he still won't hang out with the horses on their like long walks around the sanctuary. His um, He's really got psychological dimension, shows humans that come visit how much animals are also susceptible to trauma in that yeah. way. So he just stands in one place at, at this point. We're hoping that he will get better over time. And he, he does this cribbing, even though he's now free to roam 120 acres, he acts like he is still stuck in a barn, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, but he's getting better. And then we have uh, a little pig, a pot belly pig uh, named Catherine. And she is one of our eight pigs. And she was dumped at a shelter because people adopt these, what are called micro pigs. And they think they're going to stay the size of a chihuahua and they don't. So she is a mini pig in that she's a pot belly pig. She'll only max out her weight, probably at about 80 pounds 80, yep. rather than 500 as some of the yeah. meat pig varieties. Um, so she is tinier, but she's not going to be chihuahua size. So she was dumped at a shelter and we took her in and she's really happy here. <laughs> Still a baby pig at like about four months. Wow. So she's doing zoomies in the garden all the time and really happy to be here. So there has to be all sorts of things that you love about your career choice and your path. But for our listeners or readers or people watching this video, when you get up in the morning, What's, what's one of the favorite things that inspires you about what you're doing? I know that my work makes a difference and actually makes the world a better place every day. And whenever I'm feeling that perfectionist voice of, I should be doing more, I should be doing better. I remind myself that it, my efforts and this, this place just existing makes a difference every day, at least for every single being that we have rescued and lives here and calls this place home. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I am so thankful. It takes an incredibly courageous woman, human doctor mm -hmm. to go through the intense schooling that you have, um, have a vision for what you want to do, uh, not just your role as a citizen of earth, but as a healer, as a doctor, um, and as a caretaker, guardian of other souls. And you're knitting this together to make, um, a vocation and a passion and a, a, a life that is fulfilling to you, but so deeply impactful for everything around you. I really admire you. A lot of people think about doing things like you've done, but you've done it. So if you ever wake up and think I could be doing more girl, the fact that you're doing this <laughs> is just simply fantastic. Really good. If you, um, if you could, if you could tell the world one thing, about what you're doing um, and why you're doing it and what you'd want the world to know, what would it be? I believe and always have that individuals can and do change this world for the better. And that if we all woke up and guided our actions through our day with compassion and the 
term compassion fatigue is a little unfortunate. I think what people are actually experiencing is empathy fatigue because mm -hmm. compassion feels endless. And it, I believe that if every individual on this planet would, would use that as a guide for their actions that we really could make astonishing changes in this world. So that would be the one thing that I try to guide my day by and that I hope that everyone would take away that they really can make a difference in this world, even when it feels hopeless. <laughs> yeah. And the beautiful part about what you've created there, Dr. Albright, is that you're, you literally have a living, a living biome that's reflective of all of that. So if people have lost their way or they forget what that feels like to be in that space or to have those feelings, you actually have a place where people can come and see it and feel it and be a part of it. And I think yeah. that that's a, that's a beautiful gift. If people wanted to learn more about what you're doing and who you are and how they can support you and if they wanted to come visit, where would they go to find more information? We are, we have a website called onelivingsanctuary.org at, I should say, onelivingsanctuary.org. And we are also on all of the social media platforms. So Facebook, we have a page, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and I do my best to keep it updated. I know, I know it. <laughs> There's so many things more important than that. And yet for people to, to be able for to, them to see it. Yes, yeah, yeah. But in the day-to-day -day life of everything you're doing, that, that certainly is... <laughs> Social media is least important. And yet it's so many really people, yeah, yeah, it's so hard. Um, but people, peop, this will resonate with people and they're going to want to learn more and keep up with you and track you and support you. And so it's wonderful. Yeah, we really need a barn up the hill so that we can do more rescues. Yeah. So if yeah, anyone awesome. wants to help support a barn. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, your nomination for a game changer is not only well-deserved, but incredibly inspiring. So thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for everything you're doing. And thank you for role modeling a light in this world about how to empathetically care for the creatures around you in a way that you are living it and doing it and providing an opportunity for others to literally experience it. Thank you so much for your time and for uh, having these interviews. I think it's really a profound way to touch people. See the <laughs> moving yeah. actions with compassion. Yeah. yeah.